This is an SM Media production. Hi folks and welcome to episode 20 of Chronicle the Rangers Journey right here on SM Media. I'm Scott McPike, it's an absolute pleasure to be your host as always. Last week we did a wee recap show where we looked at the first 23 years of the journey from David Murray taking over in 1988 right up until just before he sold the club in 2011. And we spoke about a lot of stuff, there was a lot to get into, there was a lot of on-field, off-the-field stuff. And as after his magnificent performance last week, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome back to the show, Craig Ray. Craig, welcome back. It is a pleasure to have you on. Well, thanks very much for that, Scott. You must be the first person I'll to say I've had a magnificent performance. So <laughs> uh, I'll t- I'll take the compliment. But no, it was um it was a good one we had. Um, obviously last time round, and I'm I'm looking forward to to this one because I think there'll be, you know, a lot of downs in this one, but towards the end we'll get to a few ups. So. Aye, it should it's be like, good. Yeah, it's like a proper, it's like a proper roller coaster. Isn't it? It's it's down and it keeps on on going down, and then it hits a point where it can only go back. It can only go up the way, and it does. And we'll talk a lot about on the field stuff. And on the field, there was a lot of ups and downs. And I think only really recently we're now at a stage where we can say Rangers are back to where they should be. And this whole where where we can close where we can start this bit of the show like. When we spoke last week, when Murray sold the club, when Murray was kind of selling the club, Rangers were in the middle, were going for a third title in a row. They, I mean, the the budget was so, so thin. I mean, Walter Smith worked wonders. And round about the time Murray was selling up, it did feel there was a bit more kind of encouragement in the air. When did you first hear the name Craig White? For me, it would have been, I can't remember exactly the day or the month, maybe, Early two thousand eleven, um, when it was basically on the front page of the Daily Record that this billionaire was going to take over Rangers. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and then it turned out that you couldn't actually trace where this guy's money had, had came from. Yeah. But, um, we will get to that later on. But no, I, I, you know, my initial thoughts on on Craig White, I think, was the same as pretty much every Rangers fan. Um, you know, at the time I would have been. 14, 15, you know, so my my knowledge on finance and accounts was was limited then. It's grown a wee bit now, not quite at the level of, of some people in Glasgow. Um, as we know, we're all experts in litigation and <laughs> accountancy nowadays. Hint, hint. Um, but no, I think on the face of it, it looked good. You know, that was back in a time when, you know, people like me still would have trusted newspapers. You know, you're looking yeah. at it, you're saying, this guy's going to take Rangers over. And I think initial reactions probably relief maybe I think sir I would to use that at the time because I think it was that was hope happening. yeah yeah hope hope belief uh, relief you know we'd seen what was happening with David Murray you know the three years on the field were good but off the field it was a complete shambles you know you had the bank running the club you had players being sold um as you say well I worked miracles to, to get those three leagues in our own we were looking at a future that you know we're hoping we're going to get money to spend about to do three in our own. We were going for four in a row at that time and 
I felt going into that summer with everything that we certainly promised. I think McCoy's, I can't remember exactly how much, but it was promised a big transfer budget um, that summer. Um, there was talk, I think, like Sir Carlos Queller coming back. Um, you know, so at the time it was it was a it was a good time to be a Rangers fan, but as we know, within a few months, it all started to unravel. Yeah, I mean that's that is the thing. With- we we can we can think now with the benefit of hindsight as how was this ever how did this ever see the light of day it was it was because not only was David Money desperate the fans were desperate the fans were just desperate for change I mean somebody I mean we'll speak about that somebody made a good point all day and something I was listening to all look, you're probably a similar age to me maybe a couple of years kind of a difference but all we had from Murray in the two thousands was constant just. There was something wrong. There was we have to do this. We have to sell players. We have to cut our cloth and things like that. And the idea of a, of some of a Rangers fan, as he was portrayed, with wealth off the radar and this this whole thing, like back in the days, you say when we when we when we could trust newspapers and we, we maybe were hoodwinked a wee bit. It was very plausible. It's it just it was you're going into it with your eyes wide shut. Like this this sounds amazing. Let's just get on board with that and it's it's this perfect storm in a way of White coming in in 2011 he's, he buys the club for he gets the club for a pound he clears the bank debt we didn't know at the time how he was clearing the bank debt but hearing all that like it was the, the 18 million bank debt was getting cleared it just all sounded exactly what Rangers needed it did, and you know, it's that that positivity. I think that that's what a lot of football fans <laughs> sort of long for. It's um, as they say, it's a hope that kills you. Yeah. Um, but you know, that summer, I think, kind of blissful ignorance is maybe a, a good phrase to to use to describe it because we, as I say, came off the back of a three in a row. You know, my my whole life that I can remember, Rangers up until this point, you know. I don't remember the frivolous speech, uh, you know, spending under advocate. I was alive for it, but I don't, I don't remember it. Um, you know, I first started to to get really, really into Rangers and remember stuff when when Alan McLeish was the manager. So all I all I knew of Rangers from a you know signing players' point of view was sell, sell, sell. You know, we'd never had in that time a real marquee signing. Maybe Pedro Mendes is probably the best you could you could have hoped for bringing Barry Ferguson back and the possibility of going out and and spending big money, you know, you're hearing that this guy's a billionaire as well, Um, you know, as I say, that blissful ignorance, and especially at the start, you know, we hear that he's doing stuff like clearing the the bank debt and whatnot, and it all seems very, very plausible, Um, but, you know, as I say, um, it it turned out not to be the case. I remember when alarm bells first started ringing, and it was, it probably was written. Do you remember some of the transfer bids that were going in that summer? I mean, that was like a pound for David Goodwillie, and then yeah. Dundee United wanted like three million, and then we upped it to like two quid. I mean, at least we doubled yeah. it in fairness. But... Yeah, it was, and that that was how bad it was. It was like, I mean, the, the Queller one sticks out to me like a sore thumb. Like Rangers yeah. had agreed a fee, it was something like a million and a half. And never went in with the I agreed, agreed a fee and never went in for the personal terms. Like, do you know what I mean? It was just there was so much. Like I remember, uh, who was the guy from Holland? Uh, Ver Verweck. Remember him, the winger. Was they were trying to sign a, a winger from Holland? I think his name was Wesley Ver Verweck or something, something like that. Uh, and Den Hag, I'm sure it was wanted like a million quid, and Rangers offered a hundred grand. 
Do you know what I mean? That's that's not, and I remember at the time being guilty of this, and I, I don't know, if I, do you know, it is that blindness at the time of like, he's come, he's new into football, why he doesn't know how negotiation works. He's, do you know what I mean? He's, he doesn't know, like he's a, obviously a very shrewd negotiator. Mm-hmm. It, it was he was doing that because he wasn't really wanting them. He was yeah. just it was all to to save face and look like he was doing something. And eventually, obviously, he does the the players do come in, the likes of Lee Wallace and like Bock and Egger and things like that. But that's when it first seemed seemed to me like there's there's something weird happening here. Like this isn't what what we expected. And obviously, the European. Exits that remember the man will never forget looking at the, yeah. his face after Maribor. And I remember the camera goes to him and Rangers are going to one down, and he looks like a man who's just absolutely screwed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the alarm bells for Strigan, I think for most people it would have been those sort of those weird transfer bids. For me personally, though, um, it would have been maybe October, November time when the BBC documentaries yeah. aired because. As I say, at the time, you know, I was probably looking at it from a positive point of view, saying, okay, we've not, you know, brought in maybe the players you're expecting, but we've still signed players, we've not sold anyone. You know, mm-hmm. we never sold anyone that summer. We had Jelovic, uh, we had Davis. In fact, that, that something that I just remembered there off the top of my head, Whitaker, Davis, McGregor, were all given, I think, new, like, four or yeah, five-year contracts at the start. So it was kind of like, we, we mean business. So mm-hmm. we kept all our best players who were still at a good, you're talking about the age of maybe 25, 26, if you want to put it into maybe modern day terms. Kenneth Morelos, for example, signing long-term deals. It was that kind of um, situation. Um, and as I say, we never sold anyone. We brought players in. And the team on the pitch actually started that season very, very well. Through the first game with Hearts at Ibrox, but went on a big winning run, beat Celtic 4-2 that first Old Firm game. Um, and we're unbeaten up until um, I think Kilmarnock at the end of November. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, Naismith got about a month before that. That was probably a, a you know a turning point. But on the park, things were going well. So, and I think it's the same with most people. When you see your team doing well on the park, you know, does anything else really matter? You know, that's if you're a football fan, that is the one thing that you that you long for, it's your team to be successful in the park and to hell with anything that's going on otherwise. So um, when I seen the, the BBC documentary, the first one, and then there was a second one released like a couple of months later, yeah. it was probably when the second one was released. And, you know, I remember vividly, I, I mentioned it the last time we were on, um, a woman who was a cleaner for Craig White and basically came in and, you know, she wasn't she wasn't paid the wages that she was owed. Um and it was, I just found that really strange because I'm like, I mean, the women's a cleaner. It's obviously not the highest paid job. Why can you know, just pay this normal, everyday working class women our wages? You know, it's the right thing to do. It's the proper thing to do. You've clearly got the money to do it. Why Why don't you do it? So when stuff like that happened, you know, I was like, mm, there's something wrong here. And there was also an incident, I think, well, this came out a few years later with Gordon Smith when he was brought in, where I yeah. think he got a, a phone call about a hotel bill from... Um, a pre-season tour in Germany that wasn't paid so if it's just really weird things going on you know putting in weird bids for players no paying hotel bills um, you know and and owning previous businesses not paying normal members of staff so it was probably around that point where it became more mainstream that I was thinking there's something right here and then obviously we knew sort of late January 
when we had to sell Yelovich, that was really and we couldn't bring in Daniel Kuzan. Remember yeah, that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, we couldn't get a deal done over the line for a free agent. I was like, what you know, what's going on? And basically from that moment on, kinda knew that the league was wasn't going to be won and then it was all but confirmed a, a couple of weeks later, unfortunately. The thing was as well, like when you look back, the first thing he does when he goes in is he stops he stops being V A T and P A Y E. Yeah. You're doing that for a reason. he's doing that for a yeah. reason. It's it's part of the the was there a plan? That's the thing I I'll kind of never ever really unless you spoke to the people involved, you would never ever be able to work out what actually the whole story of this was. But I think when he went in, he hoped he would win the tax case, which was meant to be announced in maybe some I think it was like October, November, I think it was meant to be announced that yeah. that year. That got pushed back and pushed back. I think he has his plan was, and he doesn't. He never ever struck struck me as the smartest guy and things like that. But he went in there a plan to put the club into administration as soon as possible, mm-hmm. get them out of administration quickly, and then he would own it. That's what I think happened. That's what I think his plan was. Now somewhere down the line, I think he was way and way over his head because I think he was dealing with people way too smart for him, and it just seems like this. This guy, I mean, there's a famous story. I don't know if you've heard these as well. I mean, he would he would turn up in the back of a Vauxhall. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he was. I mean, there's a famous story of him the day after the the day of the Kilmarnock game. He turns up Tybrooks in the back of a it's like a Ford Focus or something. He wears shoe buckles, uh, buckles in his shoes. He was wearing, I think he was wearing like Marks and Spencer suits, somewhat. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, like there's should have upgraded to to John Lewis. Do you know what I mean, though? But that's that's the thing. Yeah, like, it's like I've got a billionaire. You know, we're all, we're all we're all about humbleness here in, in Glasgow. But I mean, when you're a billionaire and you're, you're, you're either, showing up in that, you, a either, suit, you know. Yeah, you either love your, you either stick to your roots, and you, I mean, you don't let the the money go to your head, or you don't have a pot to pee in. And yep. it was the latter. But at the time, it's like wow, when you were hearing all these stories and things like that. But eventually, obviously, things start happening. This, there's a lot goes on. And then it comes out obviously about Ticketus, and that's at the point where you're like, this is this guy's a complete and utter bandit. Like that's that's horrendous. Like when you when you think of that though as well, like that was clearly what the plan was. He that's what that's what makes me think it was always going to be a new co thing because there was no way on earth you could sacrifice four years of season ticket money. You just can't do that. Do you know what I mean that's twenty four million pounds worth of income over four years? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that's you're never ever you're not doing that unless you have a plan to put the club into that type of situation. Yeah. That's what I, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with you. To be honest, I think the the whole ticket is fiasco. Really, was well, it was that it was a fiasco. I mean, and I, I again, I'm thinking about blissful ignorance at the time you're, you're, you're not wanting to believe it you're maybe saying at the time well you know the fans would have paid it anyway do you know what I mean so is it really the worst thing in the world but that was money that you know wasn't accounted for it wasn't you know it was still in Rangers fans pockets yes. you know and I, you know I kind of feel like myself at the time like why did I not question it more but you know it's obviously stuff that you know you need to you need to get on with but it was just when, when you think about it now you know like that, you know. Can you imagine that happening now? Like the next four years, a season ticket money, you know, in fans' pockets, and it's just, you know, 
as you say, it, you know, because it was a longer period of time, it wasn't as if he was doing this for one season or even yeah. two seasons to get on like short term cash flow. It was like the next what four four years or so. So as you say, this is this was a long term plan and we discussed it last time. Craig White, you know, basically his job was to come into, you know, businesses that weren't doing well. Um, you know, and most most of the time he just ended up putting them into administration and came out the other side doing well, whilst the people within the business, the employees and also the investors, whoever they were, um, came out at the bottom. So I, I think, you know, maybe with Rangers, maybe it wasn't as sinister as that, you know, maybe, but I, I think, you know, as you say, I agree, just getting way over his head, it, it gets to a point where, you know, like went missing out in that Champions League money and even the Europa League money. And Craig White says it, I think, might even have been, might have been the first interview actually, as soon as we go into admin, you know, we basically needed that, that European money um, to get us through to the end of the season. So, you know, I don't remember his face that you said there, but I can imagine you know, just what the look in his face was at that Maribel game where that's when Europe's out of the picture completely and, you know, it's just but to to mortgage off basically four years worth of season ticket money, it's just unbelievable. And I think as well, I think he hoped that if the club get into the Champions League, he could kind of sort that before it became public knowledge and he could say, well, I'm just, I was just securing the, the he, would, he would have probably have got away with it to a degree yeah, if there was money coming in, there just he was absolutely snookered at that point. And then obviously, we're near enough coming up in nine years, uh, eleven years for recording as to when Rangers went into administration. It was round about the kind of mid February. The day comes, and I remember I will never ever forget where I was. I was sitting in the back of the car with my dad, and I just got a text on my phone saying Rangers going into admin. Uh, White's at court of session, and I remember saying like, because you tell like it was. You'd heard that happen to so many clubs, and like Portsmouth been a been a proper example, probably the most famous yeah, one. Yeah, with right, Portsmouth yeah. and Leeds, and you you didn't think it would ever happen to your own club, and yeah. when it happened, it was just surreal. And I remember that night, White, I remember having the police in front of him, right, reading a statement, and mm. it was just like this is mental, and it was, I mean, to do that. To have the, that was the last he was ever seen because he was never seen again after that point. But what he managed to do, the one thing he managed to do in that time was obviously he managed to to get in front of the, the tax man and bring him his own administrators. And this at the time was we thought this was normal. This is what you do as a a club going into administration that the owner's allowed to appoint his own administrators. Little did we know though just how impactful that would be. Yeah, I mean. Going back there on on the actual moment itself, talk about not forgetting where you were. Actually, I remember it was a Tuesday, to the best of my knowledge, I think it that, was, that it yeah. happened. Um, but I remember on the Monday, the news broke that it was basically happening, and then it, you know, it happened. It actually happened on the Tuesday, and I remember walking back from school. Um, I didn't have a mobile phone or anything like that, so I'd I'd left school at maybe three o'clock or whatever took maybe 45 minutes an hour to walk back and, you know, by the time you walk in, arms like that, what's happening at Rangers, Craig? And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? She's like that. We're going into administration. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Turn on the news. And this isn't even, this is how big it was. It's not even, you know, 
the first thing up on the STV news at six or the port in Scotland. It's the biggest thing on Sky News. It's the biggest thing on BBC News. It's it's gone worldwide. It was the biggest story in Britain, mm-hmm. you know, for for months and months and months. It's all anyone could talk about, and you know, just just madness, you know, just thinking how how has it came to this? It was unbelievable and in a really really bad way. Um. As you say, you remember, I, I remember the Portsmouth one more vividly because that was about, what, 2009, 2010. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was just like, it never come to that for Rangers, do you know what I mean? It'll never happen, but lo and behold, it didn't. And as you say, um, a bit a bit strange that, that Craig White managed to, to get in his, his own administrators. But, um, yeah. I, I mean that was the thing as well like when you look back at this you're thinking like I remember the first I remember remember running home from school actually the first day the the first Duffin Phelps press conference I remember running home from school was very early I might have had a, a really old like iPhone the first iPhone maybe was around for that time like, I remember having an old iPhone and just been every day because you remember as well every day there was something else coming out mm-hmm. they were the days you were, I, was, I was buying a paper before school and yeah. every day you were just reading it. I remember buying a paper at work experience and sitting in the staff room where I was reading it. And this guy, this this guy was who was there, like, about 40, 50 years older than me, was like reading the paper next to me. And I was just well, ended up just talking because it was every day there was something different. And I remember there was so much going on. And you remember like so much happening. You were hearing, remember White, I think White was on with Jim White, maybe in Sky Sports News. And he was talking, and Jim White, to be fair to him, was asking him question after question, and he was just denying everything, just nothing. Like, he wouldn't, he would say, I think it was, the, would you remember the Arsenal shares thing as well? Like he was, it kept getting yeah, yeah, shares in Arsenal, them, yeah. yeah. And he would just deny it and deny it. And you were hearing, and that, that like, message boards and things like that. And it was, the, do you remember, like, there was the early days of Facebook, and Twitter was just kind of coming on the scene kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And even they weren't ha- even you weren't really on there. It was more like the kind of message boards and things like that, and the kind of forums. And you were just reading things. You were just horrified at what you were reading. But it kind of just the three months. It was all about just try to get the club into a, into a good order. I remember, like when you were hearing kind of people who was who was kind of coming in. The likes of Brian Kennedy, Paul Murray, the guy from America as well. It was all there was always that feeling that there was going to be somebody coming in. There was I always felt. You never ever felt it was going to be a be what the worst thing was feared was, which was liquidation. But then that was the you you never ever thought it would come to that. Even right up until that it happens, you're thinking this won't that it can't happen that way. Yeah, I I was the same. I mean, one thing about Craig White as well, in front of the cameras in a media capacity, the guy never looked comfortable. He, he always looked shaky. Yeah. He always looked shaky. He always looked nervous, as if. I don't know, just as if he was maybe being watched or, you know, he always felt the pressure when it came to face-to-face interviews. We spoke, we spoke about that last time as well. Like it, when, when you're a successful businessman, you do go through some sort of media training, you're coached, yeah. and yeah. it wasn't, it was terrible in front of a camera. Yeah, it was it, it was awful, but, you know, move, moving on from, from that as well, it's like going into the the sort of liquidation process, as you say, you never, you never thought it would come to that, and that whole week, um, was really weird because it was uh, it was obviously the last week of the season. We played St Johnston, and yeah. it would have been 
the 13th of May, I think, 2012, because at the same time, Man City were winning the league against QPR. Yeah. And I remember being up at Perth that day and listening to that game on the radio to, like, coming back down when Aguero scored scored that goal. So I never got to see it live, but I heard that, and <laughs> the whole bus went into raptures. But um, it was weird because it was, like, a couple of days before... I think it was, was it Brian Kennedy that was made the preferred bidder? I can't it was, remember. Uh, Bill Miller. Uh, Bill Miller, sorry, that was it. Bill Miller. Um, the prefer- and then, like, all of a sudden, within the space of a day, Charles Green just appeared, this yeah. random guy. That day, yeah, they couple yeah. of days are very interesting because Bill Miller gets named the preferred bidder on the Friday. And that's, I remember this so specifically. Mm-hmm. Bill Miller gets named, no, sorry, Bill Miller gets named the preferred bidder on the Wednesday. Two days later, it's now it's reported Bill Miller is not is is pulled out completely. He's released a statement. He's pulled out. The only thing I can gather is he has looked into the finances, looked into the the debts and things like that, and yeah, thought I'm out no of there. Chance. No chance. And you see that Sunday, that Sunday it was it was out of the blue. This guy, this yachtsman Charles Green, just appeared on the scene, and it was literally that quick. There was nothing about him beforehand, not a word. Yeah. Until that Sunday, it was it was weird. I mean, I, I where I was sitting in McDermott Park, it was in that sort of it was in the main stand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember looking over, and you could actually get a glimpse of him. And I remember, yeah. I remember seeing him in in a club tie, and I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. He's been here classic, for a couple of minutes. He's already, got, I know, he's already got a club. Tie. I'm like that. Oh, okay. Um, but it just just came out of nowhere. In fact. I think people were hearing about this maybe even for the first time going up to the game. Yeah, I think they were because it was you a, know, it went broke that day. It was complete, complete and utter madness. You know, Rangers won four 0 I think McCulloch scored the hat. Yeah, or, I think you're right. McCulloch yeah. or Aluko scored the hat. I can't remember. Um, but it was just weird. You know, the whole the whole thing was really weird. And then that summer was just. You know, I thought it couldn't be topped. I mean, it probably hasn't been. I was thinking maybe the one a couple of years ago when when the season shut down. That was that mm. was pretty good for drama. But to be honest, I don't think you can, in terms of drama, you can top that. The summer of two thousand and twelve. I mean, you top that, but you know, somebody doesn't write a Brian Adams' song about it. But yeah. it's it was just every single day. You know, Rangers were you know punch bags in the press. You know, on telly and the radio on and the papers. You know, and then when it got to the point of which we'll come on to, obviously the relegation, um, the votes, the way that owners acted, the way that Scottish football as a whole acted, it was just, it was mad. That's really the only word you can use to describe it. Yeah, like we spoke about that as well when we were going through it, like previously. Like I will never ever understand that. I, I know I, I've I've been around. We've been around Scottish football for a long time. There is a there is a bitterness towards Rangers. There is a lot more yeah. than there is towards Celtic. And yeah. that's clear to see. But I will never understand a fan of any other club who hates another team more than they support their own to the point where they will they will withdraw money from their own club if they vote Rangers back into the league. I will never, ever understand that. And if anybody says to me that that's... They, they don't understand that... I don't understand what they mean. That, to me, is the worst form of bitterness you can get because you are preferring to see people like, do you know what I mean, Rangers fans, they're preferring to see Rangers fans not of their club than give money to their own club. And I will never, ever yeah. understand that. Never understand how that goes through somebody's head 
but it was that as well. You're right. It was just every day there was just they were digging up people. Tom Boyd, I remember they were Tom. They were digging up Tom Boyd every day for a quote, and he was more than happy to to give out nonsense. And it was just that they were just that's what I say about the the kind of purpose of things like fan media that kind of we're both doing as well. Like, yeah, I think um, just just finding on Tom Boyd because that. That that got me remembering starting starting to laugh here. I'm pretty sure Tom Boyd was in the press saying that he felt cheated because of the EBTs and he felt that he was owed some of the nine in a row championship medals. Yeah. Despite yeah. the fact that the EBTs never actually came in until um pretty much when two thousand and one. Yeah. Um which kind of sums up him. Tom but... Boyd retired in two thousand and one, I think. So that yeah. tells you everything. Tom Boyd's yeah. an idiot. Tom Boyd's an idiot. <laughs> and I'm more than happy. I don't think I'll ever get Tom Boyd in an interview and I don't really want to. But yeah, it was just that. I mean, there were Wraith Rovers chairman as well. I, I, can't remember, I remember that I remember guy, Tumble Hutton. Yeah, Tumble Hutton, that was that. I think he's no longer with us as well. So yeah, it, it was weird. I think one thing, you know, you've mentioned there obviously about hating Rangers and, you know, more than loving your own club, which I completely agree with. One thing I will say on it, I can understand. Celtic fans being bitter and all that towards Rangers fans because that's always going to happen, do you know what I mean? But what was really annoying me was, you know, the clubs, these clubs that disguise themselves, in my opinion, as big clubs, your Hibs, your Aberdeen, your Dundee United, especially Dundee United, the way that Stephen Thompson was acting during that period was nothing short of a disgrace. When you've got guys like that turning around and saying, we were cheated out of that's that. What, what were you cheated out of? I mean, with the two thousand eight League Cup final, where you know you were in the league twice, and you know, was it was it EBT's fault that Mark Kerr passed that ball back to Chris Boyd, and you know, you couldn't keep out a, a few penalties, just just ridiculous stuff. And you know, I always knew that, you know, the old you know, no one likes us and all that. Yeah. I always knew that Rangers were kind of seen as you know the bad guys in Scottish football, but. I think deep down you always felt that there was maybe a mutual respect there in some way, but never realised it was that that bad, that raw, and that real until until that summer where you're like, these people hate us and they will do anything in their power to make sure that we don't come out of us on the other side. And you know, we know that we know that Rangers were always going to come through it in one way or another, which which we did, but. You know, just the, the bitterness that some people have, even still to this day, you know, I, I just don't understand it. I just don't get it. And it hasn't made as clear as the fact that when, Cel- when Rangers score against Celtic, Celtic don't even mention Rangers by name, and it's just, it, it is that, it's just, do you know what I mean, holding on to the past, and just, there is a resentment that Rangers come through. There is, and oh, yeah. that's that's the thing that I, I mean, full credit to, that we'll speak about the support later on, who just, they ploughed through it. They just, everything they were getting, but I remember, was it, I can't remember who it was, and I think it was maybe Gordon Waddle had put a thing out in, the, I think he was working for the Daily Record at the time, I might be wrong, and he was, his thing was, Rangers fans aren't sorry enough. What did Rangers fans do? Like, what did Rangers, what was, what was Rangers fans' responsibility and all that? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, that, well, I will never understand I t- that. I, do you know what, I tell you something what Rangers fans done during that period, Um we all remember the, the fighting fund and, and, you know, all that that happened. See little stuff like that that was started by the fans. You know, you get your, your job still to this day, but, oh, pay the face painter and all that. Um, Rangers fans, you know, raised money like that to pay off 
the small creditors that were owed money, your small businesses, your shops, your face painters, yeah. your groceries, you know. And really the only people that were left out of pocket from the whole fiasco back then is HMRC, you know, your big organisations that, you know, whilst not saying it was right, but was what had happened, they can obviously cope with that more than what small businesses could cope with. So that's what Rangers fans were doing. Rangers fans were, you know, were basically trying to take as much responsibility as they could for other people's actions. Yeah. And I think that is something that Rangers fans generally generally do. I mean, we we seen even, you know, a couple of years ago after winning the league when, you know, all the stuff happened in George Square with the benches and all that, the very next day, Robert Marshall for the Loudon Taverns organising a GoFundMe to make sure that Rangers fans pay for the repairs. And it's kind of like, you know, if you do that, okay, not right, but take responsibility for it, own up to it and pay for it. Mm. And Rangers fans were doing that back in 2012, even when they didn't need to do it. It wasn't their responsibility to pay these small businesses. You know, it was, a, it was the regimes that were in charge. So for somebody like that to turn around and say, oh, but it was Rangers fan and all that, they're not sorry enough. Well, no, that, that doesn't sit right with me. That's, you know that, yeah. that's what was happening back then. Yeah, do you know the one that sticks out for me? Do you remember around about that time David Weir had retired? Yeah. And he get presented with it was like a it was like a vase or something in the park at half time. It was like a week before administration. And it turned out it, the the engravers hadn't been paid. Mm. A week after that, the same engraver was in the TV saying Rangers fans had, put, had had went and just gave them the cash. And that 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 shows you that never do you know what I mean? That never gets commented on just how how that happens. I don't think you see that happen in very many places, kind of thing like do you know what I mean? Like things like that. It's just three stories like that. But again, it was just it's just a sign. We'll never ever get out of that. It's just that it's the way that it's the way the country is and how Rangers are viewed in the country is just it's it's that way. And I'm I'm I I do try to be neutral as neutral as possible, but at that time I never I thought it was total bitterness and I still stand by that. It is. It's these clubs did not do you know what I mean? They were more interested. They were more interested in seeing Rangers suffer than their own incomes. Yeah, well, the the, the irony of it is, I mean, I, I know, I think it was Neil Doncaster at the time said Armageddon, and a lot of people said that was overstated. But when you look back on it, the intervening years, it really was. I mean, in a period of, I think, four years or something like that, you had Dundee United, Hibs and Hearts relegated from the SPL on multiple occasions. Teams that, you know, Aberdeen, sorry, I don't know why I mentioned Aberdeen. Uh, they've never been relegated, even though they should have been. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, that's for another day. But like Hearts and Hibs, you're like, they're two of the biggest clubs in Scotland. They'll never go down. You know, it, it opened up, the Rangers stuff opened up a can of worms for other clubs. And it, it seemed to be that if you were maybe, <coughs> I don't know, a Livingston, a St. Johnston, you know, a level below, like a Hibs, a Hearts, a, an Aberdeen, a Dundee United. If you're yeah. one of the clubs, you were maybe okay because you kind of knew how to cut your cloth. But mm. if you were a Hearts, if you were a Hibs, if you were a Dundee United that relied on those games against Rangers and Celtic, because you see, like Sir Livingston, for example, right? We'll use them now. They obviously give Rangers and Celtic three stands each, right? But Livingston are quite clever and they don't budget for that to happen every season. Mm. You know, they're not, you know, they've had their problems before Livingston, but I can't see them having that anymore. But yeah. your, your Aberdeen, your Hearts, your Hibs, etc., they're spending all that extra income that they might get off Rangers and Celtic fans on on players. You know, they, they're constantly trying to keep up with Rangers and Celtic, even though it's impossible for them to do so. Mm-hmm. So, 
to have three clubs like that get relegated, you know, it was Armageddon. And, you know, you look at the state of Scottish football as a whole and Europe, um, hardly qualifying for, you know, the Champions League, even when Celtic were in the Champions League, they were doing horrifically. Um, you know, other teams getting knocked out in, like, the first qualifying round and all that in Europe. The national team, um, you know, went through and, might well, possibly even worse than Betty Votes, to be honest, because it looks back then the team was decent. Um, it was just the manager that was crap. But the whole, you know, empty seats everywhere, especially at Celtic Park, um, even though Rangers apparently weren't the, the big attraction. But, you know, there's a massive irony there, you know, and I remember um, the sign that the Rangers fans had up, might have been the last game of the season, sink us and we'll sink you. And I think a few teams were definitely sunk. Yeah, and... Again, obviously, Rangers do end up having to go to the, the third division and this journey starts and there was a bit of madness to it. Once the, those those three years on the field, it was it was that. It was just, I mean, you were going to places you never thought you would go to. I remember going to uh, Annan. I remember going to Annan and it was like you were in a tin. You were, you were in a tin shack. <laughs> and when you like, obviously, doing what I'm doing, kind of things, you're going to clubs like like junior clubs and things like that and you're going there and you're sitting but they're not built for fan bases like Rangers that's the thing yeah the the whole the whole thing was mad I mean the infamous first game the breaking the breaking hedge do you know yeah. what I mean a ball getting stuck in it just <laughs> but, but do you know what I mean I'm trying to be a wee bit more positive here that, that is kind of like what you love about it like see now you can look back and kind of go do you know what that was this series is called, you know, we're talking about a journey, you know, yeah. that's what it is, it's a story, you know, as we mentioned the last time, you know, Steven Spielberg probably couldn't have came up with us, <laughs> um, that's what it is, it's a story and it's it's about, you know, that that is what football and sport's about, it's about those those stories and in my opinion anyway, the, the rise of Rangers from, you know, that point in, in early 2012 up until now the Europa League final last year, I think it's one of the best, if not the best, story that's ever been told in sport. Yeah, I was speaking to my dad a couple, like, see when Rangers reached the final uh, Europa League, and I says to my dad, I says, I remember sitting, going to, I think, we were, I can't remember where we were going to, I remember sitting, I'm going, did you ever think we'd be doing this? And we were going to like, a, a game, it was like an away game somewhere, and it was, I was race maybe, and we were sitting and just going, did you, ever, did you think, like, when we were Manchester four, like five years ago, you would ever be in this position. You were in the th- like second, the third tier of Scottish football, and then when Rangers reached the final of the Europa League, I says to my dad, I says, "See when we were sitting that day, going up to where we were going, did you ever think Rangers would be in a European final again?" And it is that thing. It's like it's so mad, but yeah. as you say, it's you couldn't write this, and that's the that is the the journey of it. It's like there's so many stories like that. Like it's. Things can things happen now on the field. Things were kind of ca- things did calm down to be fair after after everything kind of sorted out with the the liquidation and things like that and kind of the lower leagues. Very quickly though, it turned to turned to crap pretty quickly when Charles Green was kind of it was revealed that Mister Charlie Boy was was up to all sorts and signing all these bad deals and the, the infamous uh, pitch to the supporters who poured the money into him to be fair and yeah. again it just descended into madness 
It did. It was just that that they those three years to me were worse than admin. And I know that people will find that weird that I'm saying that, but it was the characters that were coming in. Mm. And it was just it was it was grim. I remember just hearing these stories about who was coming in and what they were up to and I mean, wow. I mean, how long have we got? <laughs> I know, I mean it was like there was a new forget about the new story every day that was coming out in summer of two thousand and twelve. Like by the time it got to as you say, it did calm down. It probably wasn't until twenty thirteen, maybe when you know, to most of the supporters, you're thinking, right, there's there's something wrong happening here again. Um, but there was a period then for maybe then up until you know when um, King and etc. came back in that it was like forget about the new um the new story every day about Rangers. It was like who was a new face on the Rangers board? Who was a new chairman? To a point where. Um, I remember there was a sketch or no an excuse run about that time, and it was like today we're going to um decide the new chairman of Rangers, and it's like ten businessmen, and play the music, and then they'll play musical chairs, and then it's the loser that gets to become the Rangers chairman. But like that, it was it, it was, was, it was so it was true. Yeah. That's pretty much what was happening, you know. And 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 it's like you'll mention names to me probably in the next few minutes, and I'll be like. I completely forgot that person even existed. You know, there, there was that there was that many people, that many that many things going on and you know, I think as you touched on earlier, we'll, we'll talk about them, the fans, you know, the way that they stood behind the team in, in different ways. Um, not just by going to the games, but eventually by not going to the games, I think, you know, had a big bearing on on what was to come soon after. Yeah. I mean we have to we have to spend a minute talking about the Chuckster. Even though he's he's a poisonous individual when he was I mean he was he hoodwinked the support. He absolutely did. He was this he, he just seemed to be this kind of fagin, didn't he? He was just a mm. he was just a guy who would he would literally say anything and if you don't believe me, two words, Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Like he would You're say right. literally anything just to get the supporters and on board and he was just a bad, bad guy. But it was, it was a leech. It was a leech. He saw, he saw an opportunity to pounce, and that's that's why I'll never ever forgive Murray. And that's that that sort of thing is the reason because Murray sold the club. He knew he had to know about Craig White. The thing of he was duped, and we went into this previously. Nobody, David Murray doesn't get duped. He's too clever. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. too smart. So he allowed somebody like Craig White to come in. And then Craig quite obviously couldn't handle what he was doing, and he was he was a bad guy as well. But for these guys to come, for these guys then to come on board, Murray allowed that by selling it to them, and that's why I'll never ever forgive him. And for somebody like Green to come on board and just immediately just rip the club apart and leech off it, hoodwink the supporters, sell them a bill of goods. That's exactly what he did. He was just a horrible, horrible person for that club. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Charles Green is, I mean, obviously around about this time as well, there was a whole five-way agreement about yeah. letting Rangers oh, God, keep yeah. their legs. And I can tell you something, if it was Charles Green that was in the meetings and no Alan McCoist, I mean, forget about, um, you know, taking back leagues that were won in the, the sort of early 2000s. Charles Green would have been given back the Cup Winners' Cup. He would have yeah. been given back 
trebles for years ago if it meant that he could save his own skin. That That is the type of person that the guy was. He didn't care about the history of Rangers. He didn't care about... He would have, he would have turned history. Ibrox into an Aldi if he could. Aye, aye. He, he, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, it was just luckily for the Rangers support, we had someone there like Ali McCoyce to... Clearly wasn't the best manager in the world, but my God, that guy's love for, for Rangers. Yeah. And they're the two kind of guys, like Ali McCoy and Sandy Jardin. There's yeah. a reason we had them as the the photo for an episode. As they were the two stalwarts that just carried the club at this point because there was there was a couple of guys maybe on the board at the time who were who you could tell they maybe did of that. Like Graham Wallace, I think he did of yeah good intentions, but I just think he was. Kai boss at every opportunity. I'm going to throw some names at you, and you can just give me a a shrug or something like that. Just like the likes of Imran Ahmed. I mean, mm-hmm. that that guy was just Charles Green 2.0. Stockbridge, I just don't. Do you know what I mean? Just a horrible, horrible guy. Uh, these deals. I think these deals. I mean, I've spoke about. We've spoke about them before as well. They were sold a dream. They were absolutely sold a dream. They were. They should never have been anywhere near the club. Never. But they Green sold them a, a pack of lies as well, and I think they just get romanticised with the whole thing. And but they should never have been allowed anywhere near it. Yeah, it was. You know, it's one thing going for for doing the buses and, and Green up to then going to Ibrox. Um, I think with these deals, as you say, they just shouldn't have been there. Um, and I think they probably did eventually realise that when they were in, they're probably going. I mean people that we are dealing with is on a completely different level to what even we were to used them. to. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Even to them, it was a different level they were working with. And there was the one, obviously, the one guy at the time who comes in and immediately just, you know what's going on at this point, was Mike Ashley. That's, mm. I mean, the infamous Sports Direct deal. I mean, Rangers are just out of that. Do you know what I mean? That completely, that was an anchor over the club for so long. But I think that was the one thing that the board, when they were out, when the money was disappearing, like things like that, the one thing they could say is that we've got Mike Ashley. Mike Ashley's a billionaire, and he, that that was legit. But the problem was, is that Mike Ashley wasn't in there to help Rangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Kind of, you know. Well, it's not similar to Newcastle because you know, but what I'm probably trying to say is, if I can get the words out, sorry. Um, like Mike Ashley's always going to be out for Mike Ashley. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the guy, you know, need to give him his credit in terms of his business acumen. He's he's clearly very intelligent in terms of the way that he operates. He knows Absolutely. what he's doing. Um, he's seen an opportunity in Rangers. He obviously knew that the 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 company was vulnerable. Um, and if you look at the people that he would have been dealing with as well, would have probably been very easy to push them around. Mm-hmm. I think if you're Mike Ashley, oh, you know, definitely. a guy that's used to having his own way, he is a billionaire, you know, we know that for a fact, unlike some that we've discussed. Um, and I think the sports direct deal, I mean, certainly back in, what, 2014, something like that, I mean, <coughs> I'd, what were Rangers getting for every strip? Got... Three, three pence in the pound or something? It was something like that. It was just, yeah, like, I mean, there's bad business deals and then there's bad business deals, yeah. but you know, just just ridiculous and, you know, thankfully but we're out of that deal now. But again, that's that's one of the, the sort of the things that, that keep running on from this. I mean what one another 
another thing that I will say, you know, you get people that turn around and will go, oh, you know, 2012 was 10, 11 years ago. You kind of keep talking about it, but it's still relevant even now when you look at Rangers' current financial position. And Rangers are in a good financial position, but, you know, we would have been in this position maybe five, six years ago mm-hmm. if certain things didn't happen. You know, catering deals, only getting out of them just now. Um, Sports Direct deal, only got out of that two years ago. We've been up in the, the SPL, SPFL, for four years by the time we got out of the Sports Direct deal. Mm-hmm. So you're dealing with that for four years. That's clearly going to have an adverse impact on the club and as a team as a whole. So we're, we're really only now, you know, getting back into the Champions League this year, getting to the Europa League final, selling assets for big money. We're only now getting to a point where we're becoming self-sustainable. Um, so I know people get annoyed and all that when, when you talk about what happened 10 years ago, 11 years ago, but... It's still relevant, unfortunately. It's just just one of those things that's going to keep keep being relevant until you know until until it's not. Yeah, and the 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 support as well. Like they they absolutely starved the starved the board out, obviously with the boycott and things like that. But the good guys eventually, like King Murray, John Gilligan as well. They they were they're always the three to me. Like I, I know kind of the the three bears as well. They deserve their their share of the the adulation and rightfully so. But Dave King. I think at the time with me, I was thinking, does Dave King have the best intentions? Because is he in just to to get his money back? Is I again at the time I'm just I think it was was this whole period of you were just thinking every you were just negative thoughts all the time. And I'm still quite guilty of that as well. Anytime you hear anything positive regarding Rangers, you've always got a slight worry because of this period. You've always got mm-hmm. something in the back of your mind. And I, but when those guys came in when they eventually kind of wrestled power. I've heard this specifically from somebody who was there. They went in there and the place was horrendous. There was nothing in it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing in it. And I want to tell a wee story. Do you remember when Ashley gets security of the training ground? Mm, yeah. He had appointed two guys onto the board by the name of Derek Lambias and Barry Leach. Mm. Now, Barry Leach was the... I think he was some like the finance director for the a company that I worked for. Mm-hmm. And I went in, I went into the company maybe 2017. A few days later, Barry Leach was appointed there and I was like, oh dear. Two years later, Mike Ashley wants to buy that company. Mm-hmm. Does that does that strike you as a bit of a coincidence? Um, I think it may be a wee bit more than a coincidence. I think um that is very, that's, very that's weird. what goes that's what goes on in these places though. That's that's what it's it's all about just trying to do the best thing possible for Mike Ashley. That's what yeah. it was. And the the fight those guys had to put up to get in there. I mean, I remember the day the the EGM hearing that the guys won we we knew they were going to win, let's be honest. It was well, but just hearing that those guys were in, just that phrase, safe pair of hands. And that was just, I mean, that was, it wasn't, it, it, it didn't completely, like, make everything good. But you knew that we were we were on the right track. Yeah, on the right track, to the exact way to, to, to sum it up. And we all remember the scenes outside, um, yeah. I think it was the Argyle House. You've got, um, you know, the freedom with our hands up, you know, in victory. And the fans cheering, the fans applauding compare and contrast that to three years earlier 
with what was happening outside Ibrox um, night and day. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was it was the positivity that the club needed at the time because that season, the first one in the Championship was, I mean, <coughs> horrendous doesn't even cover it. And, you know, let's not go over what, what was happening on the park, um, especially with the re-sign of Chris Boyd, um, which was very weird. But um, just a wee bit of positivity. And, well, I know I said let's not talk about it, but for the rest of that season, you know, whilst, you know, we never get promoted and all that, you could sense there was more positivity in the air. You know, yeah. fans started to come back. The team were playing a wee bit better, you know, because I think that did affect them. All the stuff oh, that was going on, it to. must have, it must have, because, you know, they're, they're thinking, you know, the company that I'm working for here is, you know, in trouble. We don't know what's going to happen. Is their job safe and secure? Who knows? Um, and, you know, you did see a bit of a lift and then, obviously, um, the rebuild, the proper rebuild began because it kind of seemed like, whilst we were in a journey, we were making our way back up the leagues. We were, might have been doing that, but in terms of off the field, we weren't really, we weren't progressing at all. In fact, we were getting worse, so we were getting in a worse and worse situation as we were competing against better and better teams um, up until, you know, King, etc. took over and, um, obviously we had the, the playoffs against Queen of the South Hibs and Motherwell and you know that happens but we then we then get Mark Warburton and I think when you know I would count the time as Mark Warburton coming in as a sort of start of a new sort of sort of period for Rangers yeah. where it's now you're talking about if things are bad it's just on the pitch that it's bad do you know what I mean like everything else it will kind of take care of itself. I remember Mark Warburton coming in, and this is why I kind of maybe have a more lenient approach to Mark Warburton's time than, than a lot of other people, because I remember Mark Warburton. I do, I, I, thought, I thought Mark Warburton, I thought Mark Warburton was decent, it's just, I think, we've used this phrase before, maybe a wee bit too big, you know, over his head, way in over his head, you know, in terms of when we got back up, could he really, was he a Rangers manager? Probably not, but, I think I think he's a great guy. You know, he done he done what he had to do at the time in terms of getting his back up. He gave us yeah. a style. You know, had that win against Celtic at Hamden, which was great. And you know, it gave us a wee bit of good times back that we hadn't had for. And that's for, the thing. That's, that's why, like, when you, when I think of Mark Warburton, I think I think of that was the time I enjoyed going back to Ibrox. Yeah, that time. Like, so you just I know the. I mean, there was a lot. It was a lot better to watch, for example. But you knew it was. There was a bit of a swagger back as well, when those kind of years after that, like obviously, like when King, like when Rangers get back into the SPL and things like that, and there was just always that set. They were miles behind where they where they needed to be. Celtic were obviously going through their own bit of transition as well when they brought in Brendan Rodgers, and they were a lot better than they were certainly when Rangers weren't there. But you always felt like you don't. You don't like getting beat off Celtic if you're a Rangers fan. You don't. You, you, it's but it was, it was nothing really compared to what you were dealing what you were dealing with a couple of years before. Like do you know what I mean? Like yeah, either five nil, the four nils, and five one home and away, and Mikko Lustig running running for the halfway line to score a goal against. They were they were humiliating. Yep, absolutely. But you still felt as if there was something brewing. You still felt as if the Rangers were getting closer, and then obviously Steven Gerrard comes in. Yeah, that felt big. That felt like the tip where you thought that's because Celtic were going for ten in a row, and I'm no, you're the same as me. That was that was in the back of your mind constantly. Like Celtic could get ten in a row, and it would be different. It would be different. It would be that would be the ultimate humiliation, I think, for a Rangers fan at the time. Yeah. Would you go along with that? 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think we can all talk about the off-field stuff, as we say, on the pitches, what matters, and, you know, that whole that whole period, you know, I think hindsight's a wonderful thing, you know, when you look back on it now, Rangers were miles behind, um, so obviously, one pretty much at a level playing field now, but back then, it was, pff, never seen anything like it before, um, yeah. I doubt you'll see anything like it again, in terms of, we're not even talking about, I know Celtic had their, their unbeaten season and whatnot, but I still don't think that's an unbelievable Celtic team, do you know what I mean? Had a few good, you know, I've had a, a few decent players that have went on to have, you know, decent careers down south, but not not anything, you know, unbelievable. But when Rangers are that bad, it's kind of like, well, you've not, not really got a place to, to sort of be slagging them. But it was just, it, it was hard those first couple of years coming back because, you know, the hope was always there that you could yeah. do something, but realistically, it was just never going to happen. And you mentioned Gerard there, that that did kind of feel like a sliding doors moment, you know, the board did, I don't know, I, I wouldn't go far as to say they backed Mark Warburton. I felt that in the summer that we came up, I felt that they could have gave him more money, because I think you look at when Pedro came in, he got a lot more money to spend than what, than what Warburton did. Um, you know, so I, I felt maybe the board could have done a wee bit more there that summer. Celtic would have probably still went on and won the league and all that, but you never know, could have picked up a cup or whatever, and, you know, you stop that run of trebles that that happened yeah. as well. Um, but, you know, Gerard coming in, that, that was a kind of sliding doors moment, and everything seemed to, to change from there on in, and it got to a point where, you know, Rangers were, we, we could really only go up, but Rangers were going up, but at the same time, Celtic were going down when they realised there was an actual an actual challenge there. I mean, probably talk a wee bit more in depth coming up about the sort of three seasons, but it was like each of those three seasons under Gerard were like a big massive journey in itself with so many ups and downs and, you know, getting better and then stagnating after the winter break and then, you know, getting better, nearly winning the League Cup, beating Celtic at Celtic Park, stagnating after the winter break again yeah. up until obviously winning the league, so it was it was definitely a sliding doors moment. Yeah, and there's so many, like obviously at that point as well, like Gerard, the first two seasons there was progression, kind of European runs as well were outstanding. The cup final, again, we're two weeks away for another cup final, I've never been sore watching Rangers in that cup final against Celtic because they dominated them and just Celtic obviously scored with their one chance. But, the season Gerard wins the Gerard wins the title. What was the kind of memories of that? Because obviously it was a a very weird season for other reasons that no yeah. fan could get in. But Rangers were just on it from the word go, and that was that to me. That's why we end this at twenty twenty one because that is the culmination of the journey. Because it was, I would say, maybe not. It isn't a ten year journey. It's a it's a longer journey than that to get back. Because yeah, when nineteen eighty eight Rangers are dominant. Rangers are top of the top of the tree in Scotland, soon as is there, Murray comes in, 2021, Rangers are fighting to get back to that, Rangers are fighting just to get that league title that they haven't had in so long, and it is this journey that takes over 30 years, and it's just twists and turns, so many ups and downs, but that title just fell, that was the combination. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would go as far as saying it's the most important title in Rangers history. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, people, regardless of what age you are, they're always going to remember that. Um, and I knew, like, see that Aberdeen game 
the first game of the season. As soon as we played that, I was like, we're winning this league. I knew we were winning it. I mean, because I, I always felt we were, I felt eventually the way that things were going with Gerard that we were going to win the league. Because as I say, Rangers were getting better and Celtic were gradually getting worse. And I said that to my, you know, my Celtic supporting friends at the time, you know, I went, okay, you're winning this, you're winning that. I went, but it will stop eventually. And they didn't seem to think that that was going to happen. You know, it's like, take for example, the League Cup final. They'd be, obviously, they're going to be bragging about it, but it was like, not even bragging, like just sheer arrogance as if like, user are, are bad and stuff like that. And it felt like when Gerard was there, when something bad happened, Celtic fans, when they were slagging off Rangers fans, it was as if Pedro was in charge or Murray was in charge. And to be honest, it kind of still is the same now. I still don't think there's... There's still quite a few Celtic fans, I think, that still believe that Rangers are stuck in this sort of period where they've got no money, they're, they're bad, they've got a clown in charge of them. You know, like, that's never going to happen again, ever. Um, You know, so... As I say, when, you know... When something goes up, something comes down, you're going to meet in the middle eventually, and eventually the thing that's pushing up is, is going to get better, and that's exactly what happened that season. You know, the pre-season friendlies were good in terms of the performances. We, we played, I think, Coventry, a couple other ones. We just looked like a different animal in those games, and I know friendlies and all that, but then going up to Pataudry, I've never seen a performance like that, Pataudry yeah. by Rangers, in terms of just dominating the ball, and then it was like after that, Every single game, you're like that. We're going to win this. Um, and Celtic, you know, started that season points wise the same as Rangers, you know, but the performances weren't great, mm-hmm. and you could tell that that something was going to happen. I'd always said for the period that that Gerard was in, um, put them under a wee bit of pressure, because you know, for all the trophies and stuff like that that the Celtic team has won, have they ever actually been under that much pressure? I mean. Rangers had never been top of the league properly in that time. You know, the only time I think Rangers were top of the league is maybe when Celtic had a game in hand over them. So technically Celtic were still top. Yeah. You know, but it was never Rangers were always, you know, maybe one match day in front, if that kinda makes sense. But that game at, at Celtic Park, the two 0 where Goldson scores, played them off the park and that's like as I say, I, I I knew that Aberdeen game, just watching it, I was like, we're a different animal now. And then that game, you know, another one that was probably a sliding doors moment, more so for Celtic, I think, realising that this Rangers team means business. And it was just, like, after that game, after Rangers dominated Celtic, Celtic just collapsed, mm. you know, drop points after drop points. You know, Rangers keep winning. And then, you know, Rangers, Rangers go on and win the league. But it was... It was an incredible season. Um, you know, definitely the most important championship in Rangers history. Um, you know, and just the scenes and you know the emotion and everything about that. Uh, you know, very very difficult to top. Yeah, very difficult to top. I think that's the right word. That like that whole thing. Like you remember, like as you say, it was right in the middle of COVID. And it was just, it was, I mean, it's been done to death, relentless, it was, it was non-stop. And that's the thing, like, obviously, with, with that closing, and we, we spoke about it, obviously, when, when the league was won. Well, now at the stage where, in kind of two years on from Rangers winning the league, the current board are in place, and we see 
obviously at times it's they're not they can make a lot of mistakes. But the one conclusion I would give the current board is, and I'm not a defender of them always, as you'll you'll know, I'm very, I can sometimes be maybe too critical on them. I don't think the current Rangers board are out there to hurt anybody. I think they're there. I think they they have good intentions. I don't think they go about it the best way a lot of the time. But I always am confident that they are the right people. They they have the right idea for what they want to do. Yeah, I mean, like, in, in a way, you know, I'm kind of glad the stick that the board get for stupid things because yeah. it means that, you know, it means that what happened to Rangers all those years ago will never happen again. Yeah. Because if you're scrutinising the board over, you know, small things like sponsorships on the back of shirts, do you know what I mean? Like, you, you know that Rangers... Me, don't even get me started in Edmiston House packages, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? But that, that's the sort of thing... It shows you about how far, be, yeah. how far everything's came, you know, and like, you know, I, I'm i not a happy clapper, you know, I'm not a big one as well, I kind of find myself as quite, quite balanced, but one thing I will say, very similar to you, that's Rangers board, they aren't out to hurt anyone, mm. I think they do have the best interest of the club at heart, the communication can be improved sometimes, yeah. but it's the same with any organisation, any business, whatever, you know, nothing, nothing's going to be perfect, but I think if the, you know, if the right, the right feelings are there from within, which they are, and you know, they are all Rangers men, we know that, they want the club to do well, Um, I, I think Rangers are going to be fine, I mean, and I kind of like the structure that Rangers have got just now where it's, you know, you've not got one big owner yeah. that's taking all the decisions. You've got a collective. You've got, I mean, compare it to Celtic, for example, you've got Dermot Desmond who controls pretty much everything. He's he's the one guy there. Whereas, it, you know, he's obviously really, really wealthy. Whereas at Rangers, you've probably got four or five guys who are not as rich as Dermot Desmond, but if you put it together, probably at that level. And yeah. they've all got a kind of more or less an equal say, or maybe not an equal say, but they've got a big say in, in the running of, of the club and what happens. And all I'm going to say is, I mean, you know, compared again to Celtic, you know, look at maybe what happened with the Rangers under David Murray. You know, every sort of scandal in football ownership always seems to come from one person owning yeah. the club. It never seems to come from fan ownership or, you know, kind of the, the, the system that Rangers have got, it always comes from one person running the club. Now, we've seen in the 90s, <coughs> the Kellys and stuff like that, the way that they were running Celtic, then Fergus McCann came in and Dermot Desmond came in. Now, obviously, Celtic have evolved from then. They're in a, you know, a great financial position now compared to what they were in the 90s, but the same thing remains in the fact that it is still one person running the show now. We don't know what's going to happen with Dermot Desmond in terms of, you know, he's getting older, you know, what's going to happen with his health and stuff like that. I know his son's there, but his son might not have the drive to do it. You know, what if a situation happens like David Murray where his other businesses start to take a pounding and then you go, well, I can't focus on the football club anymore. I need to focus on my, my actual businesses here. Um, So that is always a possibility that it could happen under Celtic, but with Rangers and the structure that they have got just now, that's just never going to happen because even if Douglas Park loses all his wealth, even if 
parts of Hamilton go under, right, which they won't because they're very well run. But even if it was to happen, they've still got tons of guys there that are worth, you know, millions and millions of pounds that can clear it up and, you'll, and they'll be able to find someone. What the people on the Rangers board know is they know money. They know guys that have got cash to, to invest. Um, you know, and, you know, the, the Kyle Fox stuff I always mentioned in the last few months about her coming in. Yeah. And the Rangers both kind of kind of dismissed that in the sense that, well, you were wanting more than we were basically willing to sell for in terms of um, equity in the, in the company. So it shows that this Rangers board are serious in terms of wanting people to have more of an equal say, um, which I think is good because I don't think um, it can happen again. I don't think it will happen again, but one man has that much power or control over Rangers Football Club. I just can't see it happening in, in my lifetime anyway. Yeah. The one, like, the final kind of thing before we wrap up, the the, the one constant out of this whole journey, like, players come and go, managers come and go, owners come and go, the one's constant as a support. Just how big are they? How big were they in this whole period and how much do they continue to be a big part of the club? Well, they're the best support in the world, aren't they, the Rangers fans? I'd, and I'm I'm being completely serious on that. I mean, you think of what everyone's been through the last 11 years. You know, many people would have stopped going, you know, for reasons out of um, the obvious ones that some Rangers fans stopped going in 2015. But, you know... I think earlier that the stories that we told, obviously, about the engraver, about, you know, the Rangers fans taking ownership, for me, that's kind of the legacy of the Rangers supporters from that time in terms of just how, you know, how how organic the sort of love is for them and their club. I mean, Rangers, I mean, you know, Rangers are, you know, the biggest institution in Scotland, right? But I think people forget that this whole thing was started before teenagers walking through Kelvin Grove Park mm-hmm. and, you know, kicking a ball about saying, I oh, wish you'd probably start a team. So simple. But look what that's grown into. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um and it's it, it's incredible. It's as I've said before, it's in my opinion, it's the greatest story that's ever been told in sport. You know, and the fans are just, they're that one constant. And, you know, you think of the people that, you know, are grown up now, sort of watching Rangers, you know, their 2012 and 2013 was our 2003 and 2005, you know, our dad's 92 and 93. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm also thinking about the fans that we've lost along the way, you know, friends, family, players, managers, um. You know, so just to get back to that moment, the Rangers, Rangers won the league. It was, it was really emotional. Um, you know, and you know, I can't. That's the thing. I'm not usually one that's not get much to say, but uh, like speechless. You know, in terms of how the fans are, because I think at the end of the day, everyone knows it. You know, and you don't need to say how good and how amazing the fans are, because cause they all know it. Yeah. And and as I say, because of the way that the fans are, Rangers Football Club will never, ever be in the situation that they were in in 2012 ever again. It will never happen again. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the, the whole takeaway from this is that the supporter, you're constantly they're there. I mean, they'll 
a moment's notice they'll come out and do you know I mean they'll two hundred thousand go to Manchester, a hundred thousand go to Seville and they do that because yeah, they love with the no ball. arrests. With no arrests, correct. And I, I demand mean, I demand a fair play award from FIFA. <laughs> Especially when you've no water as well. Well like, that's true, I should know. How ironic. <laughs> but yeah, Craig, it's been a pleasure. It's been really enjoyable to go through this with you and I really appreciate you coming on for the two parts. Thank you. No, not a problem at all, mate. It's been um it's been good. It's been it's been a really good discussion. Um I've enjoyed it. You know, going through some some bad times, some good times, some more bad times, but ending it on on a great note and you know, as you say, it's been been one hell of a journey, hasn't it? Has it's been one hell of a journey. And we do have a final part. We're gonna have a wee bonus Q and A. If you've got a question then please send it in the comments below. We do we have a lot of questions sent in as well. Can I privately and on like other posts as well so if you do have a question we'll try and get through it best we can in the next episode and it's going to be the final episode of the rangers journey thank you 